friends. Welcome to another episode of the Homes and Havens podcast. Today we have such a treat for you. My friend Stephanie Callahan is sitting down with us to bravely share her story. She was a recipient of Homes and Haven services last year, and it has been a gift to know her and watch her flourish in her new home and her new life. I know you will be blessed as we discuss some difficult, beautiful truths about broken families, addiction, recovery, and restoration. Thanks for listening in, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Stephanie. Today, I'm so excited to have Stephanie Callahan with us. Um, she was a client, which we call them clients, but they're not, it's really friends, but <laughs> that we did. When did we do your home install? I think it was, was it July or yes, August? Yes. Yes. Last July. Yeah. Okay. Um, that seems like years ago. I know. But I can remember meeting you for the first time in your house and you have such like a brightness <laughs> about you and a warmth. <laughs> I immediately felt comfortable and really just wanted your home to like, this girl needs to be reflected in her home because you're so bright and warm and caring. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of our missions for this podcast, um, like I was saying earlier to you, is really to pass the mic to you guys and let you tell your own story because we can, you know, post the before and after pictures and give a glimpse into like our interpretation on um, your home or your story. But I'm so confident and passionate about the potential that you guys have to tell your story and invite us into that and let it come from your mouth instead of mine. So diving in, if you would give us like a little bit of wherever you want to start the story about your life, and we just want to get to know you and all of the hard pictures or beautiful pictures about who you are and those chapters in your story. So really the first thing that comes to mind is um, I think people have a uh, perspective or a persona about what brokenness should look like. Mm. Um, And growing up, I come from a broken family. My parents divorced early on, but they also remarried early on. So, but we were, we were loved. We grew up in the church. Um, My mom and dad always tried to point us to Jesus, but as kids, you know, we had other interests. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was my parents, you know, when they divorced, I was really little, but I know that there was some you know, things that went on between them that um, was not healthy. And so when they separated and they got remarried, it was a whole new chapter um, for me. And I have a brother um, and he is 31. And um, I got a stepbrother uh, when my dad remarried and he is going to be 34, I think. Somewhere yeah. along that line. Yeah. Um, Once we pass 30, it's like, yeah. wait, how old am I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, but we were loved. We had a normal mm-hmm. childhood. We, you know, grew up in the church, went on vacations. Um, I had split weekends with my parents. Um, and then when I was about 12 is when I moved in with my my mom, my mm-hmm. real mom. Um, and um, as a teenager, I think that's when things started to mm-hmm. um, be different. Um, there was some um, people close to me that it some things happened and um, there was a lot of brokenness from an early age um, that triggered the insecurity mm. that I started to have. 
Um, but again, people looking on didn't wouldn't suspect it yeah. because we did have a good life. Um, and we were loved by our parents. And um, so it just drove me into a place that I felt no worth. Mm. I felt no, um, I felt like I always had to give something mm. um, for people to love me. Um, I, I always felt like I wasn't good enough. Like I had to meet this expectation that in reality, there, there was no expectation. Like mm-hmm. the only thing that I now looking back, my purpose was, was to serve the Lord. But yeah. then I was just like, oh, I have to meet this expectation and I have to do this and I have to do that. And it was so exhausting. Um, but so there was just that, that darkness that I held on to that I was confused and I just, um, I don't think I was angry. Mm-hmm. I think I was more, um, just confused. That's the only word yeah. I can think of because I just didn't understand what I, what I had to do in order to be loved, which mm-hmm. was weird too, because I was loved by my parents. It's just, I had this clouded perception of what that looked like. Yeah. And in my head, it had to look a certain way. Mm. Um, and so it just, I, I was very promiscuous in high school. It turned into me, um, you know, having an outlet through boys. And, um, I just remember having, um, a best friend that I met in freshman year of high school, uh, were total opposites, but, uh, she's still my best friend till this day. Oh, wow. Um, she, uh, it's almost like she's like, I had to just be her friend, you know, mm. and I was so loud and so <laughs> out there. She was like, I'm either going to love her or I'm going to hate her. And she, <laughs> she loved me, but is she was that rock of a friend that like stood by me through everything and, you know, would always encourage me. She's like, Steph, like, you don't have to, you know, mm. be this way. Like you don't have to feel like, you know? Um, so anyway, it just, I ended up, um, trying drugs for the first time when I was 16. Um, I never really, got heavy into them until I was about 18, end of 17, 18. And that's when I um, met a guy who uh, changed my life in a bad way. Mm. <laughs> um, I won't say his name, but um, yeah, I he was a few years older than me. I ended up dropping out of school when I was two months from graduation. Mm. Um, and he was in my eyes like, oh my gosh, I'm dating an older guy you know, um, but it was just destruction waiting to happen about five, maybe six months in, um, the abuse started happening physically and mentally. Now I had never really suffered physical abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. I would self harm prior. Um, but it was not a struggle until my later years. And I grew up with two older brothers and I'm like, you know, they used to wrestle with me and stuff. So I'm like, Oh, I never thought that I would back down from Mm. somebody who was threatening me in a sense. Um, Mm. But it was, it was a nightmare and my parents felt helpless. Um, I pretty much blocked a lot of people off um, because I knew that they didn't agree. Um, And that's when the drug use really started. And I was just not in a good situation. Um, It got so bad that um, I ended up going to prison for some charges that uh, he and his best friend decided to rob some houses and mm-hmm. me being so young and naive, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, this sounds great. I've never been in trouble, you know. Yeah. And, you know, when you're young and you think that you know what love is, mm-hmm. it, it just escalates. Um, and so I ended up serving some time 
in jail and in prison. Um, and I got out and I was this new person, I thought. And, you know, I had in my mind at the time formed a relationship with Christ when I was, you know, in prison. I would read and the book of James was just my that was my hold on to, you know, um, and at the time, my my brother was actually in the Calvary house um, down in Fort Lauderdale getting help himself because he struggled with some some issues as well. And we were writing each other back and forth. And um, I got out of prison and they ended up getting me a job at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. And I was like, man, this is great, mm. you know, and I started working there. And that's actually where I met my husband. Oh, now wow. we're still married. Um, but I was still lost and I mm. didn't see it. You know, I was one foot in, one foot out. Mm. I compromised in little areas. Um, but I worked there for about two years until I decided that drugs was the answer again. Mm. And I just kept chasing something to fill a void that I didn't know now, or I know now what I didn't know then was right. Jesus. Yeah. And so I kept trying to fill this, mm. um, and it just led me to multiple times being in and out of jail again, violating probation. Um, and I had a, a scare uh, where I overdosed and I was on life support and they didn't think I was going to make it. And so my husband having to call my parents and, and tell them that was, um, you know, I feel bad looking back. I'm like, how mm. did I, how did I put them through that? Um, but the Lord had a, another plan. Mm -hmm. And so he saved me time and time again. Um, but I got out and kept doing the same thing. So years of, of just this going on. And then I ended up being on a uh, house arrest for two years because I just kept violating and it was just one thing after another. And, you know, I would have seasons of, oh yeah, I'm doing okay. But it was because I was under watch mm -hmm. or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I ended up getting pregnant in 2014, which uh, he's my miracle baby because I was told when I was 17 that I probably would not be able to have children. Oh, wow. And so when I got pregnant, I told my husband, I was like, I'm pregnant. It was like 6 a.m. And he's like, shut up. <laughs> I'm like, no. I remember calling my family that morning. I was like, I can't believe it. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up having Brayden uh, two days after Christmas. Oh, sweet. So that was an adventure. Um, and uh, it just, it was great. Um, there was a lot of moving around um, and we ended up moving in with some of Eric's family um, and we were there for a season with Brayden and then we ended up getting our own place and that's when things started to get bad. Um, it wasn't right off the bat, but um, having a child, I thought I never would, you know, go down that road again. I'm like, I have a child, like mm -hmm. I can't do that. Well. Satan's crafty. And if we're not walking in the spirit, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter uh, what you have because he'll take it all. Yeah. Um, and so I just started going down the same road again with drugs. And um, I ended up in a, a very, very dark place. And that's uh, where my brother found me. So my brother is a very special person to me. Um, we've had um, a weird relationship over the years just because we're different and we've gone on different paths and I've been such a knucklehead the last 10 years that he's been walking, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, I was very, very deep in my addiction. Um, and they were all suspected of it. And, um, 
my brother ended up showing up at my apartment and he's like, you need help. And I was like, you need to give me a few minutes pretty much. And I just went in the bathroom and that's all I remember. Mm. And my brother said that I wasn't breathing. Mm. So all of this, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And it was at that point where he thought he was looking at his sister dead. And I'm like, this, this is bad. Mm. So that is what led me here to Chattanooga because he's like, you need to get help. Mm. You don't get help. You're not going to see your son. You're not, you're not going to have this stuff. Like Mm. you can't do this anymore. And at that point I was like, I'm not going to fight it anymore. I'm not going to fight this. Um, and so he called Peg Mm -hmm. and they had a bed open for me up here. So they, I detoxed for about four days. Um, And it was, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, but I believe that was the grace of God because Mm -hmm. I finally reached a point where I'm like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Um, But my brother was the hands and feet of Jesus. And there's just so much gratitude towards Mm -hmm. him. Um, And then my family, just the prayers and just looking back and how much they had to go through, not only with me, but with, you know, my brother and, you know, there's addiction runs rampant in my family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Coming here, I told him, I was like, I'm not getting on that plane unless you and Eric, Eric's my husband, come with me and bless my husband. He's stuck by me through some stuff. Mm. I mean, we both have our baggage and Mm. there's a lot more to the story, but this is just, you know, um, I feel like the best representation of brokenness I can, Mm. I can say. Um, And when I came here, they flew me up here and I remember walking into Renew and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening. And then I see Peg and this tall blonde lady and the girls are in the kitchen cooking. And I'm like, what is this? Mm. Um, And it just really, I had to come to a place in my life where I'm like, I'm either going to keep doing the same thing. I've already done jails. I've already done rehabs. Mm. I've already done. The only thing left is for me to die. And the Lord wouldn't allow it. I'm like, okay, Jesus, there's something more you have. Um, and so that's really how I got here. And now I'm just like, I'm blown away to see what my life looks like a year and a half later Yeah, uh, because I didn't think that it would be possible. Mm-hmm. I even told my family that this morning, I was like, I'm just letting you guys know, I'm going to go talk about my story. And I'm just blown away because I didn't think that I was even going to make it to 30 and I'm going to be 30 in March. And that's amazing. Here we are. Cause I remember my dad coming to me. Um, and he's like, I, where you want to be buried? I just, when your father comes up to you and says that you, mm. and I still didn't care, yeah, you know? And so it's just his hand on my life is there's no other explanation. Mm. So if anybody asks me, you know, how, how do you know there's God? Well, you can't go through what I went through and come out the other side and tell me there's not. Mm. So yeah, that's really just you know, and it's funny, I think with addiction, um, it feels so tight that grip. Um, and it's hard to believe that his grip on us, God's grip on us is even tighter Mm -hmm. because sometimes it feels like the other grip is stronger. Yeah. And I think resting in that fact for people with loved ones who are struggling with that and for the one underwater at that moment to just continue to believe that Jesus grip on us is so much stronger than addiction. And it's just when we decide to take hold of his hand instead of trying to make this work. And, um, and there's so many aspects of your story of just, I think 
being confused about what love is, is really a foundational brokenness. You know, whether that wasn't modeled or it was partially modeled for us, whether we had good parents that, you know, really tried to represent what love is. But then we continue to grow up, like you said, in those teen years and you're getting a different message. Yeah. And so it's hard as a young adult, especially with our brains not developed, you know, and, yeah. and just the immaturity, the lack of wisdom. We start piecing together what we think love is and yeah. it's wrong. It's and so that wrong. is where our whole life fuels that it just grows out of that place of we need love foundationally. You know, we need love. And we're going to do whatever it takes to get whatever we thought love was. So and it's almost like uh, <clears throat> I, I tell the the girls that are in the house right now in, in Renew, um, I, I had a very warped perception of what love from my father should look mm. like. And my dad is literally my twin, our <laughs> personalities, the sarcasm, mm. the joking. That's how we love each other. Um, but for so many years, like I wanted him to be this dad that would tell me like, honey, your hair looks beautiful. The honey, affirmation. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I put these expectations on my father and that wasn't fair because mm -hmm. he loved me the way that he knew how. Right. And he always made sure that I had what I needed him and my mom, um, and my stepmom and my stepdad, you know, it was just, it was this darkness inside of me that I, I had to come to the place that I'm at now to really realize that Jesus is love. Mm -hmm. It's an action. And, um, that's something that it took me a while to learn because I just thought it was these words and mm -hmm. these, you know, you're supposed to feel it at all times. Mm -hmm. And no, I'm sure my parents felt many times like <laughs> I can't take it anymore, yeah. but yet they still chose mm -hmm. to love me. And so just, it's it saddens me because I know this generation now and I have nieces who are uh, seven and about to be 10. And I'm like, I, I don't want them to feel that, you know, I don't want them to have this warped perception on what love is mm. supposed to look like. Right. It's just sad. Yeah. And I think that desire in us, um, God put in us that that craving for true love. Yeah. And where it goes wrong is when we start putting that on other people, mm -hmm. whether it's our fathers or our mothers or our boyfriends or our, our siblings. And we put that expectation that really could never be fulfilled mm -hmm. um, apart from God and apart from Jesus. And so I think a lot of our, our stories are just this wandering, looking for someone who could, who can fill that desire in us. And I think when we meet Jesus um, I think we all come to that realization. This is it. This is that fountain that I have been so thirsty for. Mm -hmm. But like you said, Satan continues to come in mm -hmm. and either project a personality on God that is not true, whether, he, you know, Satan is saying, well, he has all of these expectations for you. If you fail, you can't come to him, yep. you know, and then it just separates us from that true source of living water and then the cycle continues again and you go yeah. hunting and you go hunting for that fountain. And even though we've tasted it, I mean, I think that's the definition of sin is when we believe that he's not enough. Yep. And that maybe this is going to satisfy me in a deeper way than, you know, the true well. And yes. so I so relate to and I think that's an ongoing struggle. That's an ongoing yes battle mentality of being aware that you are 
Satan is trying to tempt us to do that constantly. Um, and so it's just, I think all of us are in that same boat, you know, yeah. of like um, really evaluating our desires. And like you said, you know, evaluating whether this is a feeling or if this is something real and not letting our feelings drive us, you know, one way or the oh, other. Cause that was I mean, such a, yeah, <laughs> I mean, my looking back now, I'm like, you know, my family jokes with me and they're like, Oh, you're so emotional and you're so this, and you're so dramatic. I mean, they still say those things to me, but <laughs> it, you know, and even, you know, Peg will joke with me and, you know, but I have that, that personality. I feel like I have so much love to give mm-hmm. that it's like, I don't know which way to go sometimes, but there's a difference. And I'm learning that now that my feelings lie to me, yeah. you know, um, and I don't need to react on every feeling that I mm. have. Um, and so learning what that looked like was um, that was very challenging for me because I uh, numbed my feelings and emotions for so many years that they all just started, yeah. you know, pouring out. And I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And so he gently walked me through that mm. along with the women that continue to walk by me um, with Renew and right. Calvary Chapel Chattanooga. Like the, I never thought that I would leave my entire family in South Florida and, and move up here because I'm such like a family girl. Like I just want to be with my family and mm. I have up here. And I'm like, this is so great. But yeah. you know, it's, it took me, it took me a while and I'm still learning, but when the emotions come or these feelings come that it's not, it's not always true. It's mm-hmm. not always right. And I need, I bring it to the Lord now. And so the difference between how I was then and now it's like night and day, mm. you know, because I could magnify things so big back then. Like, right. And now it's like, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't overreact yeah. about this. Yeah, sometimes it's like learning not to pour gasoline on things, mm-hmm. you know, learning to kind of take a step back and really evaluate what's true yeah. about the situation and what is just my feelings right now. And I think something that I'm learning as well is God isn't scared of our emotions. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. really hard, especially when you've had either a paternal or, you know, just other people, older people in your life that your emotions kind of irritate them or you feel like they're overdramatic. You know, they, they have a definition of what appropriate emotional health should look like. Right. But God isn't scared of our emotions. He's like, bring it all to me. Right. And he will help sift through those things and help us make clear decisions or, you know, give us space to calm down and really evaluate. All right. Let me take a step back here and evaluate what decision I need to make or how I need to react to someone or different things. And so I remember the exact day that he spoke into that for me. Um, and it was April of last year. Um, and it was I was going through a season in Renew where I was just, you know, I was missing my child and I was missing my husband. And I was like, Lord, I, I don't know what things look like, you know, and and um, I was just in a real hard season. Mm-hmm. And he gave me the book of Samuel, um, with Hannah. And so I try to encourage people. Um, I looked at Hannah's emotions and how she just wanted a son so bad. And she felt all of these things, exactly. but she took him to the Lord. Mm. And so there's a difference, you know, Mm. there's such a difference when we feel certain things and we take it into our own hands and react, or do we take them to the Lord and let him Mm -hmm. sort it out? And so that 
that story and it's in first Samuel, I believe in chapter one, Yeah, it was such a turning point for mm-hmm. me. And so I try to encourage as much as I can for people who struggle with the emotions and, you know, all of that to read that because mm-hmm. it's okay to have emotions. Exactly. It's yeah. just, what do we do with what them? What do we do with them? So. Yeah. So I want to, I want your perspective as, um, someone who has battled with addiction within the church. Um, and, and what does the church need to know about people in their own community, in their own congregation, sitting next to them at church that may be fighting the most intense battle they have ever fought? What do you think the church has, um, misconceptions about and what encouragement would you give to the church or or friends or family members with someone that they love that is suffering from an addiction what wisdom or just your own experience would you share um well i do think over the years there's a part where um i had a lot of bitterness towards um uh my church back in in florida but i was also in a season where i was just not in it. You know, I was, you know, upset because people were calling me out and this, this and that. And, um, so I think it's on both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say this when I moved up here and I, um, started attending Calvary Chapel, Chattanooga, I had never seen a community, um, love addicts the way that they do. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that to promote them. I say it because it's true. Um, they're so intentional about, um, the men's renew and the women's renew. And, um, I remember pastor Tim and I'm going to use his name because Mm -hmm. the message was so powerful. It was a few weeks back. I can't remember the title, but he, he touched on the fact that there's people sitting next to you that are fighting these Mm -hmm. battles, um, and take the time, like be personable Mm -hmm. with, with people. And, and, and so I, I have seen such a difference in what I thought the church should be with addicts when I moved here because I've been given a picture from my Mm -hmm. home church that they are so loving. They're so um, understanding in a sense where most of them, believe it or not, have walked through it. Right. Um, And so what Mm -hmm. more comfort can you get than (laughs) to be, you know. On the same team. Yes. Yeah. Um, And so I just... um, People who are struggling or have family members that are struggling, um, I just, I don't claim to know it all because I've only been walking for a short time, but I, I, I have seen it throughout my life and um, I see the women that come into Renew and I know that um, it just takes Jesus and it takes the time to mm-hmm. walk it out um, and for that change to to show. And I, I truly, truly believe that the church, at least for my church, and I only can speak from for my mm-hmm. church, has taken the steps to be like, you know, this is how we love them. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how we walk through it. And they they don't just give you these tools to use and push you on your way. No, they walk through it with you. Mm-hmm. And and I think that makes all the difference. Um, one of the stories that comes to mind is the woman at the well. And I think mm-hmm. most people who've read the Bible are familiar with that story, but the fact that Jesus went out of his way mm-hmm. to speak to this woman, I think that that would be my biggest encouragement. Step out and talk to people. 
if you see somebody, I mean, it's not hard to read somebody's body language. Just, you know, give a a high or make small talk. I think just the, um, the conversation could change somebody's Mm -hmm. whole day and lead them on a new path that maybe they didn't know was there. Um, and so just being very, very intentional about that. Um, and I, I, I say it all the time, but it's like, I think about him. I'm like, how many times did he go out of his way to come find me and to come comfort me Mm -hmm. in my deepest and darkest of places? And that's, it's hard. It's easy to love those who are lovable. Right. But what do you do when it's hard to love somebody? And that's something that I'm learning still to this day. Um, And I walk alongside of some amazing women, Mm -hmm. um, but I have seen such a picture of um, relationship at my church. And I really, truly believe that the biggest thing is just stepping out of your comfort zone and talking to people Mm. and being aware of who you're around. You know, church isn't about, you know, the saints that are in there. It's about the people who need Jesus, the people who are sick, the people that maybe don't feel like they're worth something. Mm -hmm. And, and so I just, you know, I do have a burden for those who are that lost and, and it's hard because, I'm not Jesus. I can't save the people, but I can try to do what he's called me to do. And so I just love encouraging people. And so I just think that that's the biggest thing that I could say is just Mm. be aware of who you're around and just talk to people. Yeah. I think you're like what you're saying is that pursuit, Mm -hmm. you know, that I'm going to extend my arm first um, to pull you in, because I think a lot of times in any sin, um, whether that looks like a full blown, you know, addiction or the beginnings of one, because we all have these little pet addictions that we yeah. foster. Some of ours look more kosher than others, but it's not it, at the heart of it. It's all the same brokenness. It's all the same sin. Yes. And um, I think that kind of um, when it begins to spiral out of control can only happen in isolation mm-hmm. when we start disconnecting so that people can't see us yeah. and people can't. And that's Satan. That is him so leading him. you into the darkest of darkest alleys um, because that's that's an abuser mentality. They have to get you away from the flock. Mm-hmm. And so I think hearing you tell your story, it's when believers don't let you go. And they're like, I want you here. You belong here. I want you in this fold, in this circle, at our table. And I think even in your mess that you have a place, Mm -hmm. I think that's what begins to break some of those beliefs of like, this feels like true love. This feels like what I've been thirsting for. Yeah. And I think it's like you said, the church waking up to one, it is a problem and we can close our ears and close our eyes yep. um, or we can eyes up, ears open mm-hmm. and say, how can I connect? How can I yes. show them that they belong here? Show them that their mess doesn't scare us. Um, I say all the time to my husband, too, that the church is a hospital. It's not a police yes, station. Thank you. And so I think if we're sitting on our high horses and we're pointing out, oh, my gosh, she's sleeping with her boyfriend mm-hmm. or blah, blah, blah then it's, um, that's really isolating and that really creates divides instead of love continues to reach out no matter what it it reaches across that divide and across those issues that are controversial. And it says, I'm loving you anyway. And, and it makes a huge difference. You know, the pastor Frank and 
Pastor Tim and the other pastors that speak um, at Calvary, I mean, have had such an impact because I was always that person that's like, you know, I would hear people get up there and it and it was like nobody was being transparent. And I'm like, tell me something, you know, yeah. give me something <laughs> that I can relate to. But when I came here, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, these are real people trying mm. to do life with us, you know, and hearing and it's all pointed to Jesus. Right. And so it's not this um, man-made spirituality. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the Bible. And, um, uh, pastor Frank said this past weekend, he's like, I just do what he says to yeah. do. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes. And so when you're, when you're doing life with people who are, their foundation is God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's refreshing. It's encouraging. Um, and when you see them modeling Jesus's behavior, I mean, that church is so welcoming. And I know that there's other churches that um, have, whether it's they have a distorted image of mm-hmm. what they should be preaching. I mean, I know all churches are different, um, but the fact that I get to be a part of this church is mm. so, uh, I'm grateful. Mm. I'm grateful because they are, they're human beings who are open and honest and are just trying to do what God has called them to do. And there's mm. so many broken people. Yeah. I mean, and I, I can almost guarantee that half of the church congregation doesn't know that the other half is a hot mess. <laughs> you know? And you oh, know, we're all hot messes. Yes. We just, some of us hide it better than yes. others um, for a little while. Yeah. It will come out, but yeah, I think it is so refreshing to be in a openly broken, but mending community. Yes. And, um, I think that's where true change happens. Um, so let's move into talking about home and how, um, the impact of the work that Homes and Havens has had on you, maybe describe what previous home environments looked like for you and then moving to Chattanooga and getting a place of your own and the tension that you may have felt or the longing you had felt for home and then how we got introduced and the impact that having a little haven has had on your life. So when I lived with my parents, I always felt at home. But when I became an adult and I started to have my own life Mm -hmm. and I would have my own places, you know, it was always there was always a void somewhere. And mainly because I didn't have Jesus, but things didn't feel put together in my life. And my home reflected that, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I would call myself I wouldn't say I'm OCD, but I like to clean. Mm -hmm. Um, But prior, you know, I just did as much as I could to make it seem like things were okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just, it wasn't, the environment wasn't inviting because there was just so much heaviness and it was just sad. But coming here, um, when Peg had mentioned, she's like, oh, I'm going to text Casey and I'm going to if she can do your home, I was like, nah, uh. like I used to watch fixer upper and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm about to be on a real life TV show because I've seen your work. And I was like, that is amazing. Um, and so when I met you, I was like this, I hope she's in for, like, I hope she can handle it because I, oh. I felt like my house just looked so like dingy, mm-hmm. you know, on the inside and not that it was ugly, but it was just not it was so bleh. Mm. Um, and so 
when, I mean, you saw my reaction when I walked in. Okay. <laughs> let's get real. Um, and I remember telling, um, uh, Peg and Margaret and just the people that walk with me and Candace, I was like, uh, I can't wait. Like I'm going to have a space that's homey, that's inviting, that's not dead and dreary and, um, just everything that represented my old life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you did my home, uh, it was, it blew my mind. It brought my husband to tears and he'll kill me for saying that, but it did. <laughs> so he could not believe what our house had looked like. Um, mm. and it's like, like I told you, I have not touched the way that you've done anything. <laughs> I'll maybe add some stuff, but I'm like, no, I know I have 5,000 pillows, but they're going to stay right there. <laughs> um, it's just, it's this atmosphere that I know you created with the gift the Lord's given you um, to just, it is a place of healing. It is a place of um, togetherness, the withness mm-hmm. that Calvary talks mm-hmm. about. And when I have people at my house, I actually want to have them at my house. I'm mm-hmm. like, do you want to see? Yeah. Do you want to see it? <laughs> I remember after you did it, I was like FaceTiming my family and I was sending pictures. And, you know, when people walk into my house, because I don't live in the best of neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> the inside of my house, you would never think mm-hmm. looked like that. Um And so anyway, when people come over, they're just blown away. They're Mm -hmm. like, this feels like home. Now, mind you, I do keep a heavily stocked kitchen. So that Mm -hmm. probably helps that as well. That's the reason. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This girl will feed me. (laughs) Um, But they, I get so many compliments, so many compliments. And I will say this, my son, he is a little adventurer and he, Aren't they all? he <laughs> likes to be outside and do all kinds of things. However, he is always wanting to be home. Mm. And for a four-year-old boy, I think is odd, Yeah, you know, because they want to be out doing this and no, mommy, can we go home? Mm. And I truly, truly believe it's because of the environment that has been created in our home. Um, it, it represents safety and, and healing and encouragement and love, just so many different things in one under one roof. It's, mm. it's crazy how that can give that effect. Um, and then my makeup room, oh, forget yes. it. People are blown away by that. <laughs> <laughs> they that are was bl- so much fun. They were blown away. I, they're like, I think you may have a problem with all your perfumes, <laughs> no. but that's my little, that's where I feel good. Yeah. You know, I call it my glam room for mm. God. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's your little sanctuary. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I, I do not think that I would have felt and continue to represent Christ the way that I feel like I do now if my home wasn't put together. Mm. You know, it's your home life is says a lot. Yeah. Um, And thankfully, I have women that walk with me. You came into my life and that was very refreshing. Um, And all the women who helped. um, I truly feel like they, you guys helped put my life together mm. in a way that I couldn't have. Mm. Um, and so that brings me to my other thought that I had when all this happened is, no, we're not meant to do life alone and we're to bear each other's burdens. And I truly feel like that's what you guys do. Mm. You bear the burdens of the people that are put in your path and you want to do what you can to help them. Um, and so for me, you guys did that. Um, Renew did that. When they reached out to you and connected me to you, I was like, Yes, I can't mm. wait. And so now my home, 
I feel like reflects my life. Yeah. And so it's, it's nice. And that's really, um, those are all beautiful things to say. And, um, but it really is for me in that moment, it's about taking who you are, that courage that is Stephanie and really figuring out how to put that on your walls, how to create an environment in your home that reflects you, not me, not Homes and Havens, not anything, anyone else but you. And I think as I'm putting it together, I'm like, this looks like her. This is starting to look like her. And I think it's that wholeness. You know, you've done the courageous, hard work of renewing that inner man and that inner woman to make her safe and make her feel loved and remind her of the truth and confessing sin and growing in your sanctification. And I think that is the much more difficult work. And the work that we're trying to do is just let that reflect in your environment. And I think it feels like for once the inner world and your outer world finally just click together. It was amazing. I think that's, that is so beautiful about how God just wove this mission together um, in something that I thought for a while I was like, does this even really matter? Like, it does. <laughs> I'm so glad for 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 your heart and for the people that help you and your husband standing behind you and everything because it is important. And I didn't know how important it was until you came. Mm. You know, I didn't know. Yeah, it was my home. I mean, you saw my house before. Yes, we had just moved in, but I didn't know where to start. Mm. You know, and that's where the Lord sent you into my life to say, okay, I'm going to send you somebody who's going to help you. I mean, Jesus could have done everything on his own, but he had how many disciples? Mm-hmm. He had people to help him along the way to 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 send his message out. And here you are. And I'm like, Lord, you work in such different ways. And it's such a gift. And I'm mm-hmm. so thankful for it because I'm telling you right now, my home is is home. Yeah. And it's almost like we rent and I'm like, do we really want to leave? You know, how am I going to set this up the exact same way in my next house? I'll help you. <laughs> we but, love it. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear just it's nice to follow up even later and see like if it's still continuing to have an impact impact on people's lives. Um, because my home is that way. I mean, it was in a really hard, broken season that I really was like, I need a place to heal. I need this home to really help me calm down and feel safe and be inspired to keep going. And um, I still, to this day, I love waking up. My husband can testify. I love waking up and just like going and checking on my plants and <laughs> opening all the blinds and lighting candles. And I just, I I never get tired of being home. And I think it is a truly spiritual connection that God is our home and he is beautiful. And he is all of these things that a lot of, a lot of time the church forgets to mention, you know, it's like he is for justice. He is for, you know, righteousness and he is light. And I think there's so much to the character of God Mm -hmm. that can be represented in our homes. And I think there's such a power like you said, inviting people in and they are inspired or curious or just overwhelmed by the beauty in a home. And it's a reflection of the home that Jesus is to us. And it's just, you know, manifesting that outside. And so I think um, it's something I could talk for probably way too long about. (laughs) I've um, actually had uh, family uh, come up. I've had I had my mom and my best friend and my niece come up 
about a month after you decorated, uh, maybe two months after it was last summer, they came up and stayed and my house isn't big, but man, it was homey and it was so nice and they loved it Mm. and they, they could feel it like, you know, and, um, I had my, my stepmom recently come up, uh, at the beginning of January because of my son had surgery. So she was helping me with that. Mm. Um, but it was her first time coming in and she loved it too. I Mm. mean, there's just something about having that space and knowing what you stand for knowing why you guys started this. It's, it's true and it's real. And I, and I stand behind that. Like your home is, is something that is desperate. It desperately needs the attention mm-hmm. just like our, our spirituality and, yeah. and our soul needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, because where do you lay your head down at night? Yeah. Where do you spend most of your time? Mm-hmm. You know, where do your kids grow up? And I just, I don't know. It's just such a, it's refreshing and it's um, very encouraging. Mm-hmm. And I think, and me having the opportunity to have the the Renew Girls come to my house every now and mm-hmm. then, you know, and them get to see it yeah. is, is even better. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, see, see what yeah. he does, you know, <laughs> I'm like his awesome. little cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just so thankful for you and your courage. And I feel honored to know you and your presence is so strong and bright and warm and beautiful. And um, I'm just so eager to see where God continues to take you and your family. And thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your story. And for those listening, we can't wait to bring more episodes and more stories your way and invite you into the beautiful work that God's doing in all of these women's lives. Thank you for listening to the Homes and Havens podcast. Homes and Havens is a nonprofit in Chattanooga, Tennessee, that exists to create healing spaces for women in recovery. For more information about their work, visit homesandhavens.com.